and welcome to another episode of This Is How We Do It, the Women Is One podcast where we explore solutions to gender inequities in medicine. And this is part two of a two-part series focusing on game theory. And I'm very pleased to have Dr. Sonia Anand on the show today. Dr. Anand is a professor of medicine and a vascular medicine specialist. She's also the associate chair of equity and diversity, among many other titles, at the McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario. So welcome to the show, Dr. Anand. Thank you very much for inviting me. You're welcome. So I just had a fascinating conversation with your colleague, Dr. Will Harper, about the work the two of you are doing in game theory and the application of game theory to inequities, gender, other sort of racial inequities professionally at McMaster. And I think it's just incredibly important work and it's an interesting new angle that I'm not sure has been explored elsewhere. So I'm really curious to know sort of how it's going. We focused more on what game theory is and sort of the application of game theory at the leadership level at McMaster in our conversation with Will. And so the conversation with you, I'm hoping we can we can kind of focus on results, outcomes, and perhaps the application of this concept to other areas, not only at McMaster, but, but elsewhere. So he mentioned that there is some research that you all are doing in the space and that there is a publication pending. And I don't know if you can share any of the results of your work so far, maybe just at a high level, you can tell us how it's going. Sure. Well, first of all, it is very innovative. And Dr. Harper had approached me after I took on my chair as Associate Chair of Equity and Diversity to suggest this innovation. And the way we had originally structured our committees are and it's probably very similar to everyone else, which is to make sure we included a, a representative proportion of women on our selection committees and also to add in standardized questions and blinded voting. And we left it at that. And then we'll um, propose the game theory approach. And I think the underlying fundamental principle of that approach is even with unconscious bias training, people still have biases. And we can't predict what those biases may be. And perhaps even they can't predict what will motivate them to choose or vote for one candidate over the other. And so that this um, introduction of game theory really tries to minimize any sort of bias and maximize diversity on a selection committee. And then if we've done our very best to try and eliminate bias from a selection committee, if that committee cannot reach a certainty threshold of endorsing one candidate, then it goes to a flip of a coin to make the decision. Because what that lack of endorsement of one candidate above a certainty threshold, such as 70%, for example, is telling us is we can't decide between these final two candidates. They're both usually excellent, and there's no real defining feature that separates them. And so then, like we often do in our randomized trials and other situations, if we can't choose, we let the coin choose in short. So it it is innovative and certainly bringing it into the Department of Medicine was new and required some discussion and endorsement by our chair. But I, I would say that our initial pilot testing of what is called the 
DAFNI approach, building in game theory to selection committees, has gone very well. And it seems to show that we can minimize bias and end up with, you know, picking a highly meritorious, outstanding candidate. So that's in brief how things have gone so far. I would imagine that anyone listening to this is going to think, wow, this is really interesting. I hope they think that because it is. But I also imagine that they would feel maybe there's no way our institution would do this. It's too risky. It feels like too big of an ask. And I would imagine your job as the chair of equity and diversity was to go and convince the powers that be that this was something worth trying. So talk a little bit about what that was like and and maybe how easy or difficult it was to, to get everybody on board to do this, because it sounds to me, because it is so innovative, like it would be something that would be difficult to do. Yes. Once Dr. Harper had proposed this new way of selection, I had to think about it long and hard as well because I had recently taken on the position of Associate Chair of Equity and Diversity after doing some analyses and also after observing that we had no women in leadership positions in our department. So part of my mandate was to increase the number of women on selection committees, increase the number of women applying for positions with the hopes that we could advance more women into leadership positions. And that could be done with an accelerated approach where we, and this is often the case, set targets and say, you know, our next three division directors or our next three leaders have to be women. So that would accelerate the change uh, much faster. On the other hand, one runs the risk of choosing someone only based on their identity and not based on the merit. And so then that can set everything back. It's, you know, after you've moved certain individuals into leadership positions, they're not successful. So with the Gavney approach, the game theory approach, what we're focusing on is trying to choose the best candidate, so based on merit, and also promising to deliver an unbiased collection process. And so I think most people will, you know, agree with those principles that we want to choose the best candidate. We could debate what the metrics are to, to define best, but we want to choose a meritorious candidate and we want to do it in an unbiased fashion. And so if we can agree on those, then in our discussions, we would then say, well, what is our current unbiased approach now? Well, it was usually unconscious bias training of the chair and selection committee members, and then, you know, 30% of the committee being women. And we didn't have any ethnicity, race, a diversity target on our committees. And so we were able to look at the unconscious bias training literature and show that even with training, there's often little change in terms of minimizing bias because bias comes from many different sources. And so I think with the principles of one and two that we want to choose the best candidate and the second being we want to minimize bias, uh, there was an appetite to consider the game theory approach. Um, and also because our institution, McMaster University, has a real history in kind of evidence-based medicine and the importance of randomized trials, we were able to kind of, I think, make a strong case and the case was accepted 
to at least pilot the approach. Yeah, it's incredible. And, you know, after we stopped recording, Will and I had a discussion about how many institutions, many organizations these days are instating, you know, diversity and inclusion officers or chairs or whatever it may be. And so often the solutions that they come up with include things like bias training, which as you know, you've just mentioned, and he mentioned as well, don't work. So if they don't work, then you're really defeating (laughs) the whole purpose. And if that's the only option on the table right now, because there's really nothing else that has been proven, then it just keeps getting recycled over and over and over again, and it keeps failing. So to me, having an alternative and hopefully a productive alternative is so exciting because, you know, we've been talking about gender diversity for decades and equity and how do we get there and what's the answer? And everyone keeps coming up short. So to have something that potentially is effective, even if it's just partially effective, is a step in the right direction. And I can imagine you guys are just incredibly excited to have this work hopefully produce fruit for you. Yeah. So, I I mean, a couple comments, and I agree with you that millions of dollars have been spent on diversity training, unconscious bias training as a core component. And then when you look at the results long-term, we're not seeing impact, not only in women in leadership, but also non-white racialized groups as leaders. And this has been recognized in the business world as well. In fact, Harvard Business Review dedicated a whole issue to this in September in terms of why hasn't diversity training worked. If you have leaders who represent these equity-seeking groups, women, uh, black individuals, etc., then you see the culture of an organization starts to change. So the question is, how do we get that person in that position? And you could accelerate it by, you know, like some of the large corporations, Deloitte, Coca-Cola, for example, where the CEO is strongly committed to bringing women or black individuals in leadership. And they, they take it on themselves. They don't give it to a committee to make that happen over time. And that seems to be one successful approach. But for many, many of our selection committees, let's say in academic medicine, uh, we, you know, may not have that strong endorsement from our president of the university, yet we want to make sure that hardworking, meritorious individuals can advance irrespective of an identity characteristic. And, you know, we want to make sure people are engaged in the process and good people get into leadership positions. And so... This seems to be the most fair approach to doing that. And so that is, you know, that's what your organization values. That's what you could consider. Now, if you have historical wrongs that need writing, so for example, you know, we have very few Black or Indigenous faculty members in our department. Do you recognize like a historic inequity? You may want to create positions and move people into positions faster. So I really think each organization, department, division has to take the temperature of, you know, what historically has gone on in the division, where they want to be in five years, and then make the decision, am I going to use a kind of equity approach, or am I going to try something like Dabney, or 
am I going to use both? Because sometimes you can use both approaches depending what the, the issues are in your institution. Yeah. And I think that's the key, right? You have to have tools in your toolbox, if you will, that you can go to and employ as you need them. And I think so often, at least in my experience, we see that people want to change, they want to fix it, you know, but they don't understand how, or they're not sure about kind of a potential solution. You hear, you know, things like affirmative action comes up all the time or quotas, as you mentioned, people go crazy about those ideas. And I think having effective proven tools is so important. And so if game theory, you know, ends up being one of those tools that is effective in certain scenarios, then what a breakthrough, you know, I think it's incredible. Well, a point I'd like to make is that you know with uh, equity initiatives that if you kind of create an algorithm and say every group and institution must follow this algorithm, then that can be a standalone checklist that is not linked to a change in culture. And that can fall short of what the end goal is, which is inclusivity. And, you know, I've seen it within my own institution that people are, are in a hurry they say, okay, what do we have to do with this equity checklist? Check, check, check. Okay, do we have enough women around the table? But they're not really stopping to think, okay, why do we need to do this? What is the end goal here? One algorithm will not fit each institution, and you have to take the temperature of your institution, determine what your goals are, and then use the tools to get you there. And I think Dabney is a great tool to ensure a fair, unbiased process, and it increases engagement. And when I tell this to a potential applicants for leadership position, of what I can promise you, unbiased selection process, they get really excited. Either, you know, if they're from an equity-seeking group, or if they're, you know, traditional white male, everybody's reassured that, you know, they will be you know, subject to a fair process. And that I think it actually increases the, the people's interest in putting their name forward for some of these. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's wonderful. And I realize we're having some sound quality issues today and I apologize, but I think this is so important and I will have you back and, and <laughs> be recommending that you and Will go on every speaker circuit possible to talk about this with the masses because it's really just fascinating and important work that you're doing. And I thank you for taking this kind of a risk and thinking outside of the box. That's what we try to do over at Women is One. And it's, it's wonderful to see you guys doing that at McMaster. And I am excited to see the results and hopefully for other folks to, to pick up on this innovative idea. So thank you, Sonia, for your time today. And we will be back in touch with you very soon. <laughs> Thank you and, and Women is One for your interest in our innovation and look forward to future conversations.